How are y'all tonight? I love coming to church because you all have become family to me, to us. We've talked about that at home. Um, you've just welcomed us with open arms. And listen, all you live stream people, if you want a place where people are just going to love you and welcome you with open arms, this is the place to come. That's all there is to it. Well, um, I'm kind of diving headfirst out of my comfort zone today because this is not something I normally do, but let's see where we go, and let's begin with prayer. Father, I offer myself to you. You know that we have prepared, you and I, and I am willing to set everything aside if this is not what you want said from the throne room tonight. I am a willing vessel. I thank you for it. I thank you for the grace to stand here and breathe and put one word after another. And may the hearers be blessed. And Father, may this minister life to people who hear it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's just dive in. I grew up, we were, I think we have said it before, that we're from western New York State. And I grew up, I was the last, a baby of the of the uh, 50s. I was born in 59. So the last of the baby boomers. I think that was the last year for the baby boomers. But um, I grew up in a family with four brothers, a mom and a dad. And there was a lot of teasing. There was a lot of um, negative comments flying around. And um, I grew up with a very poor opinion of myself, mainly because of hurtful things that were said to me or about me. And like all of you, um, life has had ups and downs. Life has had struggles. But the real struggle of my life, that one mountain that I was never, never able to cast into the sea, for me has been my weight. And I was chubby as a child. Um, but because of the negative things that people said to me or to others about my weight, it became an issue. Um, I remember overhearing a conversation between my mother and her sister when I was 10 years old. That's the first time I can tell you that it marked me. And my mom was concerned about my size, my weight. And my aunt, bless her, said, it's all, it's baby fat. She'll outgrow it. It'll be fine. And I believe that would have been the case had it not become an issue. But there was so much said, so much negative messages coming at me that it became the issue that um, just plagued me all my life. I developed a perception of myself as being fat and ugly and undesirable. I didn't realize it at the time, but I can say this now as an adult. I can look back at pictures of myself when I was in high school. And Dave is my witness. A friend from high school sent me a picture sometime in the last year or so. And I just gasped when I look at it. And the only words I could say was, I was normal. But I didn't see myself that way. Because I believed those things that I had heard. Um, so I didn't realize at the time that I was just average sized. I wasn't thin. But I wasn't fat either. 
Do you remember the children of Israel who spied out the land and they came back to report on what they saw in the promised land? In Numbers 13.33, they said, we were in our own sight as grasshoppers when comparing themselves with the giants. Well, I had become in my own sight unacceptable the way I was. And this became a stronghold in my life, a lifelong stumbling block. I said, from the age of 10. And I already told you on Sunday, I'm 63. So it's an awful long time to be carrying that baggage. Years ago, many years ago, a friend of mine, um, we were talking about a particular woman of God we respected and admired. And But this friend of mine told me that she knew that this particular woman of God had struggled with her weight for years, but at that time had recently lost almost 100 pounds. I love stories like that because I keep reminding the Lord, if you can do it for them, you can do it for me. Um, About that same time, Dave and I attended a meeting in another state, and this woman was there, so naturally I wanted to go meet her and I wanted to find out her story. Maybe her story could help me. We did have a conversation. She was very gracious and kind. In the course of our conversation, she told me something. um, She told me about something someone had said to her about her weight. And to me, it sounded like that was a very hurtful comment. And so I asked her, how long did it take you to stop crying? I thought I would have been, you know, but I've never forgotten her answer to me because it changed me. She simply said, it was the truth, and I love truth. She continued by making this point. When someone says something to us and our initial response is to become offended, we in that moment have to decide if what was said to us is true. If it is true, then we have the opportunity to decide to make a change. If it isn't true, then we should just dismiss it and let it go because it doesn't matter. When we hear truth, if we're willing to hear it, truth will shine a light on areas of our lives where we have believed lies. What I hadn't realized is that we have a choice about how we react. Acknowledge the truth or live in the lie. At that point in my life, I was steeped in believing lies about myself. But if I could learn to ask myself whether in that moment what was said to me was truth, then I had a tool to stop my usual slide into anger and self-pity and honestly sometimes just self-loathing. So what is truth? Facts are not necessarily truth because facts are subject to change and they change all the time. It is a fact that I'm here now, but that fact will change after service when we're all headed home. Truth never changes. Truth is always truth just as God is always God and in him, um, excuse me, and in him, James 1.17 tells us is no variableness neither shadow of turning. Jeremiah 10.10 tells us, But the Lord is the true God and the God of truth, 
the God who is truth. He is the living God and the everlasting king. In John 14, 6, Jesus said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. God is true. He is called the God of truth. Jesus is the truth. But if something isn't truth, then what is it? John 3.33 says, Whoever receives his testimony, and he's speaking of himself, whoever receives his testimony has set his seal of approval to this. God is true. That man has definitely certified, acknowledged, declared once and for all, and is himself assured that it is divine truth that God cannot lie. We know where truth is found. Jesus is truth. And truth is found in God and in his word. In John chapter 8, we read a pretty long account, and it begins with an exchange between Jesus and the Pharisees. It begins when the Jewish leaders bring before Jesus the woman caught in the act of adultery. And Jesus challenges their thinking and understanding about a number of things. Their understanding of the nature of God and the nature of their identity in relation to God. And ultimately, he tells them who he is. Let's pick up where Jesus addresses those who are who already believe in him. Now, mind you, the Pharisees are still hanging around and they're still listening to what's being said. But let's look at verses 31 and 32 in John chapter 8. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, that means if you hold fast to my teachings and live in accordance with them, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This made the Pharisees mad. They responded in verse 33, We are Abraham's offspring, descendants, and have never been in bondage to anybody. What do you mean by saying you, shall be, you will be set free? Well, this exchange continued until finally in verse 44, Jesus says, and he's saying, to the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil, and it is your will to practice the lusts and gratify the desires which are characteristic of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks, talking about Satan now, when he speaks a falsehood, he speaks what is natural to him. For he is a liar himself and the father of lies and of all that is false. When this started to become real to me, I began to hate lies because they are the native language of the enemy himself. And I don't want to speak his language over anyone, including myself. I don't want his language in my thoughts or coming out of my mouth. And like Paul wrote in Romans chapter 7, the struggle is real. It is ongoing. He makes the point that though we are born again spirit beings, we live in a natural body possessing a sin nature. And there is daily pressure to do the things we don't want to do. Can anybody other than me identify with that? There is an ongoing war between our spirit man and our mind, our will, and our emotions. 
I believe that this godly woman I spoke with had learned an important truth. If we want to be the sons and daughters of God he wants us to be, we need to grow up, take our eyes off of ourselves and our flesh nature, and focus the eyes of our hearts, our spirits squarely on him. We can only do that if we don't take upon ourselves every word people say to or about us. And in fact, every word that we have learned to say to or about ourselves. When we begin to examine our words and thoughts and motivations, we will be amazed how many lies we have accepted as truth. John 10.10 tells us, The thief comes not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. 2 Corinthians 2.11 reminds us that we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. And nothing shuts the enemy down like lifting up Jesus and living in truth and humility the abundant life he came to give us. We need to hide God's word in our hearts so that we have our weapons ready to fight every battle that comes. Why is it so important that we learn to avoid offense and embrace truth? In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5, we are told that one of the attributes of love is that, and is it there? Um, well, it comes after. Okay. That it is not touchy or fretful or resentful. And I like that it also says it takes no account of the evil done to it. It doesn't even pay attention to it. It rolls off the back of love. Uh, and I'm going to find my place. How do most people respond when they are offended? They get touchy, fretful, and resentful. They step out of love. And Galatians 5, 6 tells us that faith works by love. We cannot expect to live and walk in faith if we live and walk outside of love. It all comes down to love and humility. God loves us and asked his only begotten son, Jesus, to suffer and die so that we could not only have and enjoy abundant lives here and now, but so that we would be able to spend eternity with the Father in heaven. And he asks us to be humble enough to know that he is always right. That his ways are always right. And that there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that we can experience that he is not greater still. I am a work in progress in my pursuit of resisting offense and staying in love. In assessing what is truth and what is not. God doesn't ask us for perfection of flesh. But he does ask for hearts that are perfect toward him. Now, don't let that be intimidating to you because he knows it would be impossible without him. But thank God, Matthew 19, 26 tells us that with him, all things are possible, even resisting becoming offended when hurtful words come at us. He will give us the grace to pause and to ask ourselves, 
Was that true or was it a lie? If it was true, what can we do to change that aspect of ourselves? Or to whom might we need to humble ourselves and ask forgiveness? If it was a lie, then let go and hear me and disappoint the enemy of our souls who is trying to get us into strife and divide us. So what happens if we blow it? If we just completely chuck it all and flesh out and skulk off to our pity corner, what then? When we come to our senses, we need to go straight to 1 John 1.9. If we freely admit that we have sinned and confess our sins, he is faithful and just, true to his own nature and promises, and will forgive our sins, dismiss our lawlessness, and continuously cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Everything not in conformity to his will in purpose, thought, and action. Why? Because he is a good and faithful God. He is love. And he loves us. Amen? Father, we thank you so much for your word tonight. We ask you, Father, that your will word will be planted deep in our hearts and it will grow. And, Father, that your Holy Spirit will remind us when we have opportunities to become offended that we will hear your still small voice and pause and ask ourselves, is that truth or is that a lie? And if it's truth, Father... Show us how we can grow to be more like you, more Christ-like, so that we can be a blessing to you, Father, so that we can walk in a manner worthy of you, and so we can be a light in the darkness. And thank you for it, Father. Thank you that the enemy is defeated in our lives. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.